I'm in the camp uh, within the AI space that AI is here to augment, not to replace. It is here as a tool to expand upon, right? To make certain tasks easier, right, for you. But I don't, I don't believe that AI has the current capability to fully replace, right? People are full industries. And if and when it does, being really mindful, right, of what does that mean for society, right? What does that mean for the world? And how do we prepare for that? Create deep connections. Continuously connect with others. You can always learn from someone that's both in your space, adjacent to your space, or completely outside, right, of your space. Uh, there's just so much to learn from just other people's experiences and their perspective. And you as well have the capability to share your own perspective, right? Your own experience. We're all learners and teachers, right? And I think it's really important to always remember that. One thing I always really think, like want folks to really understand, like the core foundational sort of mantra is that AI is a tool, right? At the end of the day, it is a tool. And therefore, there are two things that I would encourage, you know, young designers, right? Or any designer, right? That wants to get into the AI spaces. What's up, everybody? I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Marcy Regalado. Marcy currently is the head of design at Magna, a token management platform. Before Magna, she worked as the design lead at Meta AI. Now, AI has been really hot, like really hot. GPT-4, Midjourney 5, Stable Diffusion, you name it. It seems like every day there's something new in the AI space. And as a designer, it's not only hard to keep up, but also it's hard to stay optimistic about the future of design. Thus, I sat down with Marcy in this episode to chat all about AI, its current state, best practices, and the future of AI. I thoroughly enjoy this conversation, and I'm sure you'll learn a ton from this episode as well. Thus, without further ado, here is my conversation with Marcy Regalado. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Guo. I'm super excited to be here. Likewise. So I would love to start from the early career that you had, which going back to 2018. So this was your fourth year at Fidelity Investment. At the time, you were working as a UX designer, and in the same year, you actually enrolled in Stanford's master's program for design impact. And so the question that I wanted to start off with is, like, after, like, working in the industry for, like, a few years, why did you decide to do a master's program? And, yeah, feel free to provide context about your time at Fidelity and the work that you did as a designer as well. Totally. I I had a really unique experience. So when I first started at Fidelity... On paper, I actually was a UX researcher. Mm. Uh, you know, our program at, or the Tufts program does a, a really robust job in preparing you to either be a researcher, right, or a designer. Mm-hmm. And so when I had finished the program, I was like, oh, I really like to design, but I know I can do research really well. 
So I actually started as research, did that as a sort of intern, so to speak, during my senior year, and was able to kind of uh, balance between UX information architecture, which I don't think it's a term I've actually seen more recently, but back then, which is hilarious to me because that was only, what, eight years ago? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Um, right. It was a person that really specialized in kind of understanding the architectural structure of an experience. So a lot of user flows, right? A lot of wireframes, right? right? And then working really hand in hand with a visual designer, right? To execute on the aesthetic, the sort of fine-tunedness, right? Of the experience, the animations, right? The micro-interactions. The yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so uh, I was able to transition from a researcher over to a UX information architect with the hope of being an actual UX designer. And so after a year of doing information architecture on our personal investment app, I just had such great mentorship with my creative director, Damon Jones, and then my mobile design director, Jonathan Cardos. And they two were just such great folks at both having and coexisting, right, in terms of being extremely strong, Damon being extremely strong, right, in visual uh, design and aesthetic, right, as our, as our creative director. And then Jonathan just being so strong and articulate, right, of thinking of the business needs, the user needs, mm. right? Like, how is our, how are we going to present this? Um, when we think about our experience on iOS, how do we think about it, right, on Android, right? Should they be different or not? So having that sort of exposure so early on, I was really able to get my hands dirty on the depth, right, of creating a really robust reimagination of a financial app. Mm -hmm. uh, then in 2018, I was the UX designer uh, and essentially the like the mini design lead, so to speak, right, of our emerging tech. So after exploring mobile. Uh, and then also working hand in hand with a handful of designers to create our first virtual assistant. Uh, I really was curious about pushing the envelope of thinking about, all right, well, what about augmented reality? Is this a thing that personal investment, uh, we should look in? What are the needs there, right? How to solve for that there? Um, what about AI? How can AI be leveraged, right, on our mobile apps, right, versus other pillars, right, of our mm -hmm. experience that we have? And so I just got to a point uh, in my career where I could continue to be a designer, right, in industry and continuing to learn the hard skills there or go into a master's program and find a little bit more breadth, right, while taking my hard skill, right, of being able to uh, execute on actual design, right, actually creating apps, actually creating websites, right, right. Uh, storytelling, you know, North Star visions, right, mm. but really trying to... Um, gain a bigger breadth on entrepreneurial aspects, right, of being a designer, right? Yeah. Um, being more intentional about my craft when it comes to hardware versus software. Uh, and that's what I was able to get at a program like Stanford, right? Um, having David Kelly, right, as an advisor, you know, he's the, the you know, founder of, of IDEO, Ideal, the yeah. thinking, you know, that's incredible. Uh, the design thinking methodology, right? That's so powerful to have someone that has completely innovated and, and revolutionized the design space across right mediums. Just having that access to someone completely unlocked my brain in a way that uh, created a space that was so safe to just experiment and ask questions like what if, right? Which you don't get as much right at industry always, right? Mm -hmm. And so I found that 
um, having that master's program to be able to connect with other folks that weren't designers either, right? There were many folks that were engineers or product managers beforehand or fabricists, right? One of my best friends in the program is a maker of backpacks and leather goods, right? And now works at Patagonia, right? And so, and he was a sort of creative I had access to that I never would have had, right, at a place like Fidelity, right? So kind of just expanding upon that initial experience to be a better creative, to be a better problem solver, uh, just gave me that opportunity. Yeah. It sounds like mentorship obviously is a huge part of this. And also, totally, totally. it sounds like like going for a master's program is a really good opportunity to delve deeper into the things that you're curious in and then like meet cool people along the way. So for an inner example, mm-hmm. it's like AI. I'm curious, like what... Do you mind sharing, like, what are some of the stuff that you did during the master's program around the topic of artificial intelligence? Yeah, totally. Uh, So during the program, I took this epic course called Designing Machine Learning or Designing ML. And essentially, it was a course that was through the D school, Mm. uh, which is... Uh, essentially Stanford's unofficial, right? Design school. (laughs) You have the business school, right? You have the engineering school, you have, uh, you know, all these different schools, right? That Mm -hmm. create, you know, the humanities, et cetera, right? That create actual, you know, the Stanford campus, right? The Stanford curriculum. And then you have the D school, uh, which is, you know, this uh, really experimental freeing place uh, that you could ask sort of any sort of question and really start to dig deeper right into a particular problem. Yeah. And so taking this class, I was able to really just uh, have access to other technologists. Like mm-hmm. there were so many students that were coming from the computer science side, right? Or the computer engineering. There were students from the business school that were taking this course, right? There were students from all over the university, right? Taking this course to really start to think about How do you create experiences with AI at its core? And what is it that you need to understand to be able to create uh, these sort of impactful experiences or really interesting experiences? And just having that exposure of, you know, being encouraged to read academic papers, right? To really understand, oh, so when I think of a particular language model, this is kind of a list of the inputs versus the outputs. Interesting. So now that I understand its limitations from a very, uh, you know, high level perspective, now as as a creative, right, as a designer, how can I start to ask questions to really push the envelope, right, off of those constraints, right? And then you get really cool experiences, right, like a Chad GPT, right, right or right. like um, a Dolly too, um, right, to be able to start to play around with how do we take these models, right, these sort of Uh, technological advances and package them in ways that really bring value to people, right? Or find intrigue, right, uh, into society. Right. No, yeah, I've ChatGPT and also I've been using Dolly recently for like art images and it's it's really cool to see all the generative AI. And I will definitely delve into more on the AI side of things. Mm -hmm. And another question that I wanted to, because it sounds like from what you just talked about, it seems like you had exposure to AI and also, I guess, more of the emerging tech back at Fidelity. And Stanford was a way for you to, I guess, like extend that curiosity, like explore that further. I'm curious, like what advice for designers do you have who want to work in the AI sector? Would you recommend master's program or like maybe do side projects? Um, Yeah, curious to hear your thoughts on that. 
yes and all of the above, right? <laughs> uh, yes. I always, uh, one thing I always really think, like want folks to really understand, like the core foundational sort of mantra is that AI is a tool, right? Mm. At the end of the day, it is a tool. And therefore, there are two things that I would encourage, you know, young designers, right? Or any designer, right? That wants to get into the AI space is one, what are you passionate about, right? What industry, right? Or use cases are you passionate about, right? And then from there, uh, secondly, how then can you think about ways that AI, right, which is an optimization tool a lot of times, right, mm -hmm. can start to bring impactful value, right, to a particular audience within those spaces, right? And so when we think about how AI really helps, uh, you know, optimize a particular set of tasks, right, or really thinking about how it can be pivotal, right, in an evolution of a particular feature, right, or a particular product, mm -hmm. um, how can you start to then articulate, right, why AI is so important to have in that particular experience? Just like, and I would advise any young designer, right, to always reverse engineer, right, any particular experience or product that they idolize, right? What about it, that particular experience is working for you, right? And then really start to think about, all right, if I start to think about a language model or if I start to think about an audio model, right, that could enhance a completely new feature set within this experience, right, what about it would make it so exciting? What kind of future do you want to kind of paint to that? And so uh, feel free to read, right, academic papers to start to understand the language of uh, certain terminologies, right, just to get a brief overview, right, of what the space uh, is doing, right? And then understand, right, that there are differences between narrow systems, right, which is a chat GPT. Chat GPT is very good at anything language-based, but it really is not meant to do math problems, let's say, right? Versus uh, generalized AI. That's the sort of like her situation, right? Like the, the film, right? That's an over-encompassing sentient, so to speak, right, yeah. being. And we're not very, we're not there yet, yeah. right onto that general side but you know when you think about a narrow use case right like what about certain places that you're really passionate about that ai can start to help bring right there's been for example a lot of uh expansion in green tech right mm. and thinking about how do we balance um ai algorithms to be able to ensure that our crops are diverse monocropping is very unhealthy right from a global perspective so can we leverage models to be able to tell us to put corn in one field and then bell peppers in the other? How far should they be, right? You know, right, yeah, like yeah. Um, if there's a drought, right? How do we start to balance limited resources, right? And so that's what I would uh, encourage uh, designers who want to get into the space. Find one, what you're passionate about. And then secondly, start to learn what are the current limitations, right? Or capabilities of certain AI uh, models, right? And how is it being used in the space today? Go play with those those experiences. Yeah, I think just an example that popped up, obviously, one of the most used application is ChatGPT. And I think mm -hmm. understanding like GPT-3, which is the language model and how that's built will also be really helpful, just like understanding how it actually works. Um, because I think, at least for me, like a designer, it's still very mind-boggling that mm -hmm. this thing even exists. And so I think kind of delving into the weeds a little bit, reading papers definitely helps as well, as you mentioned. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And, you know, just to kind of like 
uncap, so to speak, right? The black box of a of a, what ChatGPT is. At the end of the day, in, in its simplest form, it's a model that with really high confidence, right, and ability is able to guess the next letter or the next string of words, right, based on a particular request that you put in. Right. And so uh, I know recently Kevin Roos over at the New York Times essentially got a little uh, freaked out, so yeah. to speak, right, because... <laughs> Uh, working and trying to play around with Bing's mm, Bing's I interpretation, right, and implementation of ChatGPT scared him because he was able to unlock Sydney, right, the, the the proprietary knowledge base of this. But the thing I always think about, granted, as a designer in the space, the model was doing exactly what he wanted. He kept asking for, mm. you know, he kept trying to push the limit, push the bound, and it did it pretty well. And then that scared him, right? Mm. But I don't think ChatGPT in, in that instance knew exactly what, <laughs> you yeah. know, it was saying. I don't think it had a self-awareness, right, right of right. being Sydney, of yeah. encouraging, right, to to mm. leave his wife, et cetera, yes. right? Uh, so it's, it's really being intentional, right, of, of thinking about that, right? And then as a designer, when pushing those bounds, right, uh, how do we create these experiences to not scare folks, right? Or to sort of reallocate uh, or redirect, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. At certain asks if it's pushing a boundary that could could have negative consequences, right? Um, I think later on, I and, and we can get to into this further, right? But yeah. I think I definitely see the evolution, right, of designers within the AI space being thought leaders at the end of the day, being able to pose really difficult questions, right? Really thinking about edge cases and how far a particular system ought to go versus where it can, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and having conviction around creating experiences that mm -hmm. are positive, right? That bring delight, that are right. for people, that are intentional about uh, how they interact with society, are intentional about you know what happens, where it exists in the world, right? I definitely see that sort of evolution of designers beyond, you know, not just pushing pixels, right? <laughs> but truly being thought leaders, right? having these difficult conversations. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I feel like the opening, you, I, I should probably ask you to, to record the intro, honestly, because you, you do a much better job of recording the not just pixel part of things. <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. I, 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 I do my that. homework as best as I can. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I think on the note of designing human-centered AI and the the idea that AI ultimately is a tool, when I was looking over your profile, I came across a term called lingua franca. And mm -hmm. I think this is a really relatable, uh, this directly relates with what we're talking about. So do you mind explaining what it is and giving the audience a bit of context? So lingua franca uh, in its core is really just a written design language to guide non-technical problem solvers, and hopefully expand over to engineers as well, mm. uh, to creating human-centered AI-driven experiences, right? Really being in short, uh, being a guideline to exploring and encouraging intentional ways that AI experiences can be built, can be tested, uh, can be measured, right? Can be critiqued. Uh, and then hopefully from there, creating new improvements, right, within any of its agnostic space, right, of application or industry. Right, right. What are what are some of the examples of the guidelines that applies to like any AI driven products or services or like any best practices from 
the handbook that you can recall? I guess one great example uh, that I think about in terms of a principle within the handbook specifically is this idea of transparency. And because AI is such an opaque system so many times, right, uh, a lot of times, even research scientists who create these models sometimes don't always know exactly why a particular output is being generated. Mm. And so from a problem-solving perspective, right, are there ways to really bring more clarity, right, or explaining particular relationships or parameters, right, to that output? Uh, A really great example uh, that I always like to use is Netflix recommendation percentage or even Google Maps's uh, recommendation percentage, right, of a particular place that you're looking at, right? So when you see the number 73% match, what does that actually mean, right? What was what was taken into account to give it that percentage for me, right, based on right. whether it's being recommended actively to me, right? So when I open an application, uh, for Netflix particularly, right? Why is that movie being shown first? Or as I look up different places, uh, you know, Google Maps, why are particular places being surfaced higher than others, right? Are there ways to really break that apart? A really great designer, right, within the AI applied space is always thinking, all right, we're going to show somebody 73%. To be able to add transparency, perhaps it's as simple as adding a label of, yeah. Hey, this fits under, you know, on the next book side, hey, this fits under uh, your appeal in liking strong female leads, mm-hmm. point blank, right? It could be as simple as that, right? It could be probably a label, right, that's added. Or perhaps uh, it could be interactive and more playful, right? So that uh, in the Google Maps example, uh, when I look up a particular coffee shop and I pull up that 73%, maybe it can give me a visual mapping, right, of mm-hmm. other coffee shops that have similar properties, right? Maybe it's the location, perhaps it's the type of coffee, right? Right, The latte at this particular place is almost identical to the other place, you know, with a really interesting improvement or twist, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe the seating, right, is uh, from an aesthetic perspective is more to uh, my personal liking, right, versus uh, my friends, right? Mm -hmm. And so really trying to think about how do you start to contextualize that data in a way that's just better explainable so that when a user in a particular system has more confidence, right, to say, wow, you actually understand me really well. This is great. Now I trust this system a little bit more because now I understand these recommendation percentages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think transparency is definitely a huge part. And I think it does go back to, I know I forgot if you mentioned this, but the concept that like AI processing is all in this black box mm-hmm. where people don't really understand what's actually going on behind the scenes. And so I think transparency is definitely a huge part. And I know in the handbook session, you also, there, there was one point that, um, one section that I wanted to point out. Um, you wrote that the way to select the right problem is to look at two things, the data and also the experience. Mm-hmm. On the data side, asking the question like, what data would someone need to make a certain decision? And then for the experience, what experience would they likely need in order to be successful? And a question that arose when I was reading this section was, um, you kind of talked about this earlier, but how does one know if AI is, I guess, the right solution to a problem? Um, is it based on like the type or like the quantity of data? Because it, it seems like 
um, I don't want to like bash any anyone or anything, but it sounds like a lot of the current startups use AI as one of their solutions. And I think it's good to be skeptical about whether AI is actually the right solution for a specific problem. So we'll love to hear your thoughts on that. I love the way you worded it just then, right? Having essentially a healthy level of skepticism, right? Uh, you know, good designers always understand their, you know, their experiences limitations, right? And um, their, the, con- the potential consequences, right, that their experiences could curtail. So when thinking about particularly, right, if an experience ought to have AI, if, if I'm understanding, right, your question correctly, yeah. it's really asking, you know, in my mind, right, what is being optimized? Why are we optimizing that particular section, right, of, a, uh, of an experience, right? At the end of the day, many paradigms of foundation of just design as a principle, right, as a, as a discipline, uh, you have to be able to accurately identify who are you solving for, right? How are you trying to solve uh, for them? Why? What about it needs to be solved, right? Yeah. And so... AI, again, because it's a tool, has these same questions added to it, right? So I can give you, let's make up an example on the spot, right? Uh, let's think of an application within finance, right? And think about a budgeting tool. Yeah. Um, does it make sense to add optimization to understanding your spending habit, right? Mm-hmm. To then be able to save money? Or are you able to open a new credit card? Or is it to uh, save for a particular experience, right? And optimize that, right? Mm. So how, how essentially are we starting to think about the particular problem and see where AI um, superpower essentially can supercharge a particular part of that experience? And maybe it's just a feature within that budgeting example, right? Where it's, where it's saying, hey, it really accurately can understand spending habits. So it just knows to be able to articulate, right, or, or showcase in the experience, this is how much money you have coming in versus how much money you have going out, right? Mm. And are they balanced or not, right? Yeah. yeah. And then from there, how do we want to then empower folks, right? Um, do Again, with saving, right, mm-hmm. is it saving for a rainy day? Yeah. Um, I, vo- I grew up in the camp of always saving enough, you know, three to six months, right? That's, mm. that, that's yeah. you know, of, of, of an emergency fund. Like everything were to just implode, you have three to six months to kind of, you know, keep on your feet, right? Uh, But maybe that's not important to you. Maybe you actually want to save up for a big trip, right? Right. Like going to Mexico City. Yeah, to Mexico. Right? (laughs) Alaska. Yeah. Exactly. Or Alaska, right? Like, uh, can the system then empower you to be able to then spend actively and aggressively or more passively, right? Because time is the construct, right? Or, Or the particular variable, right? That's being optimized within the model. Right. So hopefully the answer is right. Kind yeah. of thinking about right through uh, an application, you know, on the spot, right, of should AI be in this experience and how much of the experience should be founded around, right, this AI core. Honestly, from what I'm hearing, like, I would love to use that. Like, just describe. I feel like that'll be <laughs> that'll be so helpful for, for budgeting reasons and, and financial. I mean, um, maybe one day if I have enough time, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, knows? yeah. Yeah, you were at Fidelity before, so I feel like the financial side of things here <laughs> yes, that'll be a perfect yes. fight project. <laughs> that just makes sense. It's numbers, right? Algorithms are really good at numbers. And it just so happens that algorithms are starting to be really good at language. Well, right. specifically English. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most 
popular written languages, right? They're starting to get really, really good at it, right? Right, um, right. <laughs> so it, to me, it's like a, a, a no-brainer, so to speak. Those are So those are some of my favorite ideas. That's my entrepreneurial hat coming out. You know, <laughs> like, how can you bring so much value to folks, right? I'm, I'm sure there'll be a great side project to work on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, I always have a side project, you know, because uh, it's always good to try and, and keep your, your creative juices flowing, right? Mm. Uh, and different... So in different places, right? Right, uh, right. And sometimes that brings you new perspective, right, into what you're working on. So I, I'm all for side projects, ensuring that folks don't burn out. That's always a number one. On the note of artificial intelligence and just the overall landscape, I wanted to ask a question about like the future of this space. And I know currently there's like as we mentioned before, GPT-3, ChatGPT, mm-hmm. Dolly, Stable Diffusion. And I feel like there are a lot more like consumer-facing, notable AI products in the space. And the fact that you're currently working directly in this space, what, what do you think about the future of AI? Like, how do you see it morph into different ways that we might not expect or like other applications in this field? I've been so excited actually about how far the space has gone in what, four months technically, right? OpenAI released ChatGPT, which is off of GPT-3 model, like language model, yeah. in November of 2022. That was what, oh, four wow. or five months ago? Oh, that so, was in November? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, it was from November of 2022. Wow. And they did release uh, API capabilities. I believe it was... December, so a month after uh, about it. And so just now, I like I think it was this week, if I'm not mistaken, where they now have created a more robust API structure so that folks can create experiences using, you know, essentially ChatGPT stack, right? Wow. And so I just see an entire new uh, explosion, essentially, right? or an empowerment of new generation of creatives and technologists uh, making these new experiences specifically based on this language model. Right. Right. And so, again, it feels very similar to what happened in like from 09 to 2015 uh, with mobile apps, right? The explosion of mobile apps, like just think of, for example, an app like Instagram, an app like Instagram would have never existed until iPhone put a camera, a very nice at the time, two megapixel camera on the back of the phone. That didn't exist, right? In a, in, in a really robust, simple way. Add to the fact that Apple had then created an entire app store to then empower ways to mm. access, right? These elements of the hardware. Right. To then you get an app like Instagram. Now no one can think about life without an Instagram. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So I think something very similar will happen in the AI space. Um, and we're seeing a lot of examples specifically in the creative space or like the creation or prompt space. So you have Spotify's AI DJ, mm, right? Where it's actually using open AI as its technological stack to then end on top of that using their own proprietary X voice that they created that was a superstar in their Get Up uh, podcast series, mm-hmm. and then merging the two, right, to creating this, this uh, interesting DJ. 
at me personally, as a DJ, I do, do mm-hmm. have critiques, right, of the system, right? It does still miss that tactility and that sort of energy that really great DJs just get. You can read your audience. You can understand that pulse. You can, you can, you know, lack for a better phrase, you can read the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that model just, like, that experience yeah. just can't do it just yet, right? And so you're starting to see some backlash a little bit with that or, or critiques, right, of that system. Right, right, you see right. Notion AI, right? Yeah. Expanding upon and adding um, essentially automated content uh, creation, right, within their pages structure. So it can read an entire doc, so to speak, and then create to-do uh, list, right, from it. Yeah. Right? Um, two of my favorite, most recent examples that I've played around with that I absolutely love are Runway ML, which mm. is basically an AI-powered uh, platform for um, digital uh, creatives. So looking at graphics, looking at photography, looking at video. I'm, it's literally, to me, when I've looked, like played with it, it is like taking the entire Adobe Creative Suite, putting it into one particular seamless wow. experience, all driven, right, and orchestrated through AI models, right? Wow. Um, and then Descript AI, which is like amazing yes. where it's yeah. just as simple as, and it's a, just an AI video editing tool. However, you can edit your video by changing the transcribed script, right, that you have uh, in it or through the video and then the transcript is edited accordingly, right? Uh, or it adds transitions right into it. So I think we're going to continue always seeing sort of these spaces where the learning curve is very steep, um, where AI can start to really help kind of lessen, right, that learning curve. And I think what will just happen eventually is that you'll see people that are actually using AI tools, right, as part of their uh, toolbox, right, versus people that don't. And I think that's what's really going to drive the difference, right, between right. Those, those, those spaces. Uh, but I do hope that, especially with when thinking about the future, right, that design is given, you know, a very pivotal seat at the table to be able to ask these really difficult questions when thinking about the consequences, right, of the system. I'm in the camp uh, within the AI space that AI is here to augment, not to replace. It is here as a tool to expand upon, right, to make certain tasks easier, right, for you. But I don't, I don't believe that AI has the current capability to fully replace, right, people or full industries. And if and when it does, being really mindful, right, of what does that mean for society, right? What does that mean for the world? And how do we prepare for that, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely, I think as a designer in the camp of like, like AI as a tool and also ways for to give us inspirations and also help us create things much more efficiently so it sounds like runway ml is definitely one i've, I've also came across that tool descript mm-hmm. um we're on a podcast so i i i've also seen that as well and it's it blew my mind when i was able to edit just by deleting text on the screen it was it was magical that right there what you're talking about that's that's the that's the best part that a designer can experience is when someone who uses their particular experience is like, wow, that felt magical. Mm. And that's ex- like, that always makes my day. Like when someone has that sort of aha, <gasps> it was just like a magic wand. This is epic, right? Like that's the sort of feelings I'm always striving towards, right? When creating these experiences. It definitely changed my way of like 
just editing in general. And mm. I think currently, we we mentioned, I guess, like in terms of sectors of AI. I know there's like generative AI, which is like mm-hmm. image uh, stable diffusion, Dolly, Midjourney. I'm curious, is there any other types of AI or um, other types of artificial intelligence or other, I guess, broader themes of it or methods? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll use like uh, layperson's terms, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> generative AI is very much new, quote unquote, new generation, right? Of image, text, video, et cetera, right? right so right. that's definitely one uh, space. There's also then um, AI personalities, so to speak, right? When thinking about these sort of persona, mm-hmm. right, of a particular assistant, I always think of like, you know, like Westworld, so to speak, right? No spoilers, but yes, a spoiler <laughs> alert, <laughs> right? When a receptionist, right, or a host mm-hmm. kind of welcomes you, mm-hmm. what is their tone, their presentation, their sense, right? So that's yeah, definitely yeah. another space. Then there's transportation, right? Mm. So when you think about, for example, Tesla's um, enhanced assisted driving, right, versus full self-automation, what truly are those differences, right? Uh, what does it look like to add that to public uh, transportation solutions like buses and trains? Uh, there has been uh, some work to write in planes, uh, and specific shuttles. Um, there's Elroy Air, for example. Actually, great uh, Tufts alum, actually, that is uh, oh. one of their head business uh, wow. folks, Kofi Asante, who I had the pleasure of crossing paths with during undergrad. Also, right, is, for example, a company that specifically looks at automating cargo, right, mm. through the air. And so then transportation definitely is one. In terms of other spaces, there are definitely probably are, but they're much smaller and I don't think have enough traction or a little too niche, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, to structure it. But I would say those are the three big ones. Generative, which is again, music, audio, text, uh, imagery, right? Video. Um, then there's AI personas, right? Really thinking about these sort of digital duplicates, right? Uh, personalities that folks will interact with. And then lastly, transportation. I know we're almost out of time, so I wanted to jump right into the final question. Um, it's a question that I like to ask every single guest at the very end of the episode. <laughs> so if you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, so back in college, what career slash life advice will you tell the young Marcy? Oh, young Marcy, if you're hearing this, uh, <laughs> life is good. Things get better. <laughs> the grind was worth it. I love that. <laughs> Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, to all the young, you know, the young folk who are, are just trying to make it, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or get a handle, there are two very distinct pieces of advice, I would say. One, create deep connections, continuously connect with others. You can always learn from someone that's both in your space, adjacent to your space, or completely outside, right, of your space. Uh, there's just so much to learn from just other people's experiences and their perspective. And you as well have the capability to share your own perspective, right? Your own experience. We're all learners and teachers, right? And I think it's really important to always remember that, right? And never be afraid to just say, I don't know when you don't know something versus actually, I do know actually a lot about this. Let me share that, right? Um, and sort of that excitement there. So so always like just 
connect with as many folks as possible. And, and whether it's over coffee, a dinner, at a workshop, um, friend of a friend, right? right just right. always have that open, you know, approachable manner, right? To, to just uh, connecting and getting to know folks. Yeah. Or on a podcast, like what we're doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> I would say uh, the podcast uh, space has been uh, the most fruitful, I would say, most mm. recently. So I appreciate you go there. Of course, of course. The second uh, piece of advice is experiment, experiment, experiment. Like get out there and just try anything at least once. <laughs> like you genuinely never know what you're going to learn or who you're going to meet or what you're going to learn about yourself um, by, for example, reverse engineering your favorite app, right? Like a feature of your favorite app, right? Um, that's always like a design exercise. I always tell a lot of young designers or people becoming designers, right? New in the space, you know, whether they're transitioning, right? From being a business analyst, a PM, um, a content designer, right? Uh, coming into the to the sort of pixel space, <laughs> right? <laughs> Try to just learn, right? About yeah. different uh, gestalts, different patterns, right? Color theory, right? Just mm. play around with it, see what happens. Right. And, you know, talk to your friends and be the little designer, right? Out of their idea, right? There's so many friends of mine from the CS world that uh, early on, they were like, hey, I just need help with this flyer or hey, I just need help with the screen, right? right um, or right. hey, can you look at this, right? And give me advice, right? Yeah, yeah. Just get out there and just, just try things. Um, mm -hmm. it, because when you're early in... Uh, and I'm not talking about age, but when a person is early within a space, it's mm -hmm. when you have the most grace and kindness given to you to fail. And it's mm. so great to fail early and often. Right. Because there really are ways to gather um, some really actionable learnings, right, from your experiences that you can just continuously build into mm. your future experiences. Right. And I think a part of that, like, entering a field with no prior knowledge another uh, benefit is that you don't have like prior assumptions and so mm -hmm. you can be skeptical on a healthy level and not not like take I guess like the standard practices of the field for granted and then like actually kind of delve deeper into that totally totally I'm I co-sign exactly what you said like truly 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 um I think if anything there's such freshness, right, to just that new perspective and mm. never shy away from vocalizing that, right, being in a room. Um, there, were, I was so lucky um, throughout my entire career, right, both in school, grad school, um, in my workspaces, that there were always folks making space, right, uh, for me to voice my particular perspective or a fresh take on something. And so, you know, finding those spaces where you can nurture that side or be nurtured right uh, on that is so so important love that yeah and i think with that that rounds off the episode that we have today marcy i wanted to say thank you so much for doing this i had a blast oh i had a blast I uh <laughs> if you ever need to do this again i'm always game so please put me at the top of the list as like a recurring you know potential guest uh, yes no this course. was really really great i'm truly um in awe of what you've been able to accomplish on the podcast and chatting with folks. And I think it's just so great that you've taken it upon yourself, right? Of finding a unique solution to mm. finding the advice that you want, right? right? As you're, right, yeah. you know, 
kickstarting your space and your experience. Uh, and so keep up the fab work. Uh, <laughs> you're doing you. great. Thank you. Yeah, this is the design podcast I wish I had. So just making that um, to come true step by step. But no, thanks. truly, I brava, brava, uh, continue it on. And I've learned loads from who you've who you've featured. So like the design space is genuinely so diverse because we're designers literally are everywhere. Right, right. And so you've really done a, a great job at capturing that sort of spectrum, right, of where we are and how we apply all of our different t- sorts of problem solving skills. So yeah. thank you, thank you, awesome. thank you. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show, and I'll see you in the next episode.